So time, you know, time is an amazing gift, and it really is a gift, um, because like so many things, we, we can sort of control our schedules, we can sort of control how we use time, but how much time we get, it's a gift. You know from other people in your life, perhaps loved ones or close friends, that life can be here today and gone tomorrow. And when you think of your own life and your own use of time, it's a strange thing, really. Sometimes time can seem to go very quickly, and at other times it seems to be in slow motion. Time is odd that way. I mean, think of coming to church. Many of you have been here a number of times before in the past, and here you sit today in this very moment, in this moment of time, and you'll probably, if all goes well, be here again in the future. We're amazing creatures in the sense that we really can sense time past, time present, and time future. Sometimes we get caught in living too much in the past, and it impedes us from living fully in the moment. And sometimes we can get too preoccupied with the future and what's coming and anticipating something so much that we forget to be present and real in the moment. We, as creatures, are time-bound. We're time-bound. We are caught up in the sequence of moments as one moment leads to the next. That's how we live our lives. That's how we've been doing it each second, each minute, each hour, each day, each month, each year of our lives. We live in that time sequence. We are time-bound. And yet this God that we, that we try to know and understand is timeless. God is beyond time. And yet this timeless God meets us in our time-bound condition as human beings. We find ourselves caught in time, and yet a timeless God meets us. And here we find in John's Gospel a key to understanding something about eternal life. Jesus says it in chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Theologians have a a big word for, a phrase for that. It's called realized eschatology. And eschatology just comes from the Greek word eschaton, which is the end. And so eschatology is words or thoughts about end times. But to have realized eschatology, you see, puts together the idea that something about the end times can be realized now. 
And John's gospel gives us this sense of realized eschatology because he's not simply saying that eternal life is something way off in the distant future, which we tend to think about. He says, this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Well, that's possible now, at least in part. There's another passage in John's gospel that's problematic for many Christians. It's John 14, 6. You probably know it. Well, you don't know it until I say it. Um, When Jesus is to have said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can you complete it? No one comes to the Father except by me. And that has been used by some Christians to exclude everybody else. But if you read the entirety of John's gospel, you realize that's not what was intended. John, as the writer of this gospel, is very interested in realized eschatology. He's interested in something of claiming eternal life now. And it's not just some post-mortem promise of retirement in the clouds, eternally. But that's not really what's going on here. He's very interested in people living the truth and the way and the life now. It's something that's accessible. Now, you've heard the phrase, um, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Well, the gospel would say that's not exactly right. It's about the destination because the destination, eternal life, is the journey. It is the journey. And so if we're interested in the future, if we're interested in eternal life, then we have to be living it every step of the way. A Zen master once said, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Heaven or hell are accessible now based on how we walk in our life. Heaven is found in the heart of struggle not the absence of it. If you think about that, there's a real truth to it. Because life is not about our comfort. We try to make it about our comfort, and we try to avoid pain and struggle and sacrifice at almost any cost. But think about the really good things in your life. They've probably come with some sense of struggle. A mother can't give birth without some sense of struggle and pain. And look at the joy that comes. You see, life is filled with this mixture. But we want to try to avoid all that. But heaven is found in the heart of struggle, not the absence of it. Because the early Christians were not called Christians. They were called people of the way. 
They were called people of the way, and they knew struggle, and they knew persecution, and they knew difficulty. That's what it meant to be a follower of Christ. It was not an easy deal. And they were called to live as Jesus lived and to be part of the way and the truth and the life. Last week, I talked about grace. Grace-filled living and giving. And grace is this unmerited, incredible gift of love that comes and God's goodness so freely given to us. And today, as we think about eternal life and salvation, I want to give you a thought about salvation. That salvation is discovering how much you are loved beyond your wildest imagination. That salvation is discovering how much you are loved beyond your wildest imagination and living in response to that discovery. Living in response to that amazing gift. You see, eternal life isn't just some pie-in-the-sky thing off in the future, floating on clouds or whatever your image might be. It has to do with a quality of life that is beyond time and space. But we can be a part of that now. We really can. We can be a part of that here and now. So I want to um, I want to conclude with a story, and this is about a man by the name of John Henry Light. He was back in the 1800s. He was a pastor at a little Presbyterian church in Scotland. It was called the Wee Presbyterian Church near St Andrews, and he had been at that church for 50 years. Can you imagine 50 years? He got very sick, and the doctor told him that the only way he could possibly recover is if he went to the Riviera and spent some time in the warmth and the sunshine and got away from the dreary, dark dampness of Scotland. So he preached what was to be his last service. They had communion, and the congregation walked him down to the ship that was awaiting, and he waved a handkerchief, and they waved back. And he boarded the boat, small boat. And the first night they stayed in the north of France. They got off the ship and stayed in a little inn. And the next morning they were going to have breakfast and go on a little tour before they got back on the boat. And so they all woke up and arrived at breakfast, everyone except Henry Light. They didn't know what to make of it, so they sent the inn, they sent somebody to the room. And, of course, no response. They got the innkeeper. The innkeeper opened the door, and there across the bed was the body of Henry Light. In his hand was a piece of paper where he was a poet. And he wrote the words to one of the most beloved hymns of the church. Abide with me. Abide with me.
abide with me. Fast falls the even tide. The darkness comes. Oh Lord, abide with me. When other helpers fail, when other comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh abide. May God abide with us and we with God because it's already here. It's both now and forever. Amen.